You're listening to the Voices in Education podcast, powered by Securely, where we hear from new voices and explore new ideas about how we can reimagine education to support whole student success. Education is at an inflection point. As we grapple with complex challenges like funding and enrollment, as well as diversity, equity, and safety, we also have an opportunity, an opportunity to reimagine education. Now more than ever, we know the importance that students' overall well-being plays in their success. They need to feel supported and safe and connected to be able to engage in their learning and achieve to their full potential. Join your host, Casey Agena, a former teacher turned instructional coach and technologist, as he interviews inspirational educators, school leaders, wellness professionals, and more to amplify their voices. You'll learn about the innovative work they're doing to support student safety, engagement, and overall wellness. And who knows, you may even spark a new idea of your own. Ready to reimagine education? Let's go. I'm your host, Casey Agana, and in today's episode, we're talking with Sarah Milianta Laffin, and she's going to provide a perspective on social emotional learning and mental health as a teacher and a mentor to her middle school students. Sarah is an experienced teacher and instructional coach working for the Hawaii Department of Education. Uh, welcome, Sarah, and glad to have you here. Aloha, Casey. It's, it's so good to be here today. Thanks for the invite. You know, we had a chance to talk pre-show and uh, so many things that you're involved in and so many things making an impact uh, with your community and your school. Just kind of just interesting about the story of, of, of what you've done before and how you got here. And then a look back at that past 24 months that has been challenging for everybody. And as we're kind of finishing this school year, you know, we're feeling those pressures, uh, students, teachers, families. So yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your work, and definitely uh, your kids. Absolutely. Well, one thing um, right now, I'm a middle school teacher um, at Alima yeah. Intermediate in Eva Beach, and um, middle schoolers are great. One thing that's really helped me, though, is I started in elementary education. I was a third grade teacher um, in Houston, Texas in 2006. That was the year after Hurricane Katrina. So there were a lot of students in Houston experiencing um, houselessness and, and trauma effects of that situation. So we really had a lot of trauma-informed education prep as teachers at that time in Houston. And I'm really realizing that I'm using those tools right now with my students who have experienced the pandemic and the way we all have in the last two years, and with my middle schoolers especially. So I kind of, my background um, in elementary ed and the work that I've done previously has kind of really come, come in handy as we've moved through these places. But yeah, so right now at, at my school, I teach STEM lab. It's an elective class. Pretty awesome. We do coding, robotics, and computer science. Awesome. Um, it's awesome. my first gig where I am you know, the elective teacher, which is different than like a traditional science teacher or a coach. And so I do think post-pandemic, our elective offerings to our students are critical because we need to have these things to get the kids in the door to class right now, especially as we know our attendance rates have been down and really get kids excited about learning. I see my job as an elective teacher is to get the kids passionate about being in school, building their sense of belonging and sense of place by get, making classroom exciting and also making sure that I'm supporting what they're doing in their math classes and their language arts classes at the same time. Do you see 
Because you have a really unique experience, sir. I mean, just having working with students kind of coming out of a traumatic experience uh, in Houston. And then now here in Hawaii, another traumatic experience of the pandemic kind of coming out of that. Are, are there, what are the similarities and differences from, from your perspective? Well, I think, um, you know, like adults do, students show their stress and anxiety in many different ways. And what teachers need to be is trained to be able to, to see in which way the stress is exhibiting, right? Is, is that stress related to in class? You know, is it related to not understanding the concepts and so the grades are struggling? Or is it, you know, I'm, I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm nervous about the conditions of the world. You know, also, I think we have to be honest, a lot of our, our students have lost caregivers. Um, you know, we know that we've lost a lot of people to COVID or their families have been traumatically impacted. We can't just pretend that didn't happen as educators. We have to, we have to see that for what it is and, and build our student toolboxes so that they can kind of handle these things as well. And we know kids are incredibly resilient, but it's our job as the adults to make sure they have the tools to be to be able to be that. You know, I think coming and working with students in Hawaii is really kind of a unique and, you know, on other states and nationally, the melting pot. There's a lot of different ethnicities and cultures really kind of coming to play in, in the students you, uh, you work with, the families that are there. How much of that is a test to what the want is uh, in terms of their academic growth and their social emotional growth challenge with, you know, what are the needs at home? Are, are they in concert with each other or do they, are they, uh, do they clash at times? I mean, it is. It's a beautiful melting pot. And I think teaching in Houston, my, my previous district had uh, 97 languages spoken. And it was, it was a really a beautiful place where a lot of communities have come together. So that prepped me for, for what I have found at teaching in Hawaii. But I, I think it's also true to see like what, what families are dealing with now right now is very different, right? In the same way during virtual learning, you know, we had some students who had every setup they needed. They had their mic and their computer and their game chair and they were with it. And then you had some students who really didn't have stable Wi-Fi or were joining from like a cell phone, a cl- joining our classes um, on Google Meets, you know, like Zoom. Mm-hmm through handheld devices or with unstable Wi-Fi. So everyone's learning experience for the last two years was different. And as teachers, we have to be able to differentiate for that. But we know like the number one piece for us is making sure that family involvement is there and getting virtual family involvement has been a little tough, but our, our district has done some cool stuff with like family literacy nights on Zoom. Mm. Um, Bookmobile has been involved. Hawaii Library System has been really incredible in the way they've come to teachers and said, um, how can we support your learning? So we actually have the Bookmobile coming to our campus next week. So the kids have engaged virtually. And now that program is going to come in person so they can actually get the physical, tangible books. I know I've done some reading pieces because we know literacy, it's huge in all subject, all content areas. And even as the elective teacher, you know, people will be like, well, you're not the reading teacher. I was like, well, we're all the reading teacher, right? If we know Mm -hmm. our kids have skills that are missing, we've got to go ahead and build them. And so relying on digital apps like Sora, which allows the library books to be either the e-reader books or or also can do the audiobooks as well. I'm a big believer. I know traditionalists are like, oh, they have to read the book. But if audiobooks work for students, I mean, I use Audible. I don't have time to sit down and read a book, but I listen to Audible on my commute. I think we have to tell kids it's okay to use multiple modalities of learning. Right. What's the state of the teachers uh, like at your school? I mean, what, I, we see kind of the challenges in terms of teacher retention or burnout. Is that something even uh, in, in your school that it, it, it's something that's prevalent. It's kind of a a tone that's kind of taking place and people talking about it and how you feeling like, 
what's kind of the state of that with the adults in this in the building? Sure. I, I mean, I'm I'm 16 years in, so I'm like mid mid career. Mm -hmm. um, but it's interesting. The NEA surveyed um, about 3,600 members in January, and 55% of teachers responded that they're going to be likely to leave education sooner because of the pandemic. And I think we can't ignore the statistics that teachers are also feeling the stress because we are humans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think that's going to be something we really have to talk about because let's be real. You know, my 16 years in public education, I'm having to do some unlearning, um, and that can. Be be tough. And the bottom line is we can't put our students first in public education if we put teachers last. And I think it's just really critical that we, the same supports that we give for student mental health and growth and development, we also have to support teacher mental health right now more than ever. I think that's a great point because if the teachers aren't well, are the students well? You know, what can be done overtly to make sure that teachers are well so that students are well. And that's a leadership piece too, I, I'm, you know, as we're talking. And, and, you know, and I straddle multiple worlds, right? I've been a coach, I've been in instructional leaderships and district leaderships team, and now I'm back in the classroom. So it's different angles. I'm a big believer that teachers can lead from the classroom. And I also am, am careful. Like I do a lot of work with mentoring new teachers because I'm the teacher I am today because, you know, when I was a first year and all over the place, someone mentored me. So I do believe the responsibility in this profession is to pay it forward and mentor the next generation. But when I say that, I was also kind of socialized to be a teacher martyr. I believed that, you know, I needed to get there, you know, before before sunrise and leave late in the evening. And I thought that, you know, giving it all to my students, I thought was the way to be the best teacher and that I cared the most. And it was really kind of a, a, a toxic way to learn about being a teacher. So I'm really careful as we mentor new teachers, especially in the pandemic. I've got this great second year choir teacher who's just phenomenal and does a lot with culturally responsive music and really neat things, but she'd only ever taught on the computer like she hadn't had students in person yet right, so the idea right. of saying like how do we keep these people in education because it's a whole new world I do think we have to be careful with toxic positivity in schools I think toxic <laughs> positivity has been a big problem so it's like it could look like an administrator saying take time for self-care but then giving a bunch of extra meetings and responsibilities or um, you know hanging up the teacher strong banner in the hallway and then not paying enough for soap in the bathroom telling people to stay positive and it's not that positivity isn't important, um, but in some ways, the pandemic, we say fake it till you make it or just go with it. And, and people don't necessarily have the reserves for that, for what we've experienced. And there are a few things I think we can do to really help with the toxic positivity. Uh, we have to stop wearing our stress like a badge of honor and, and start getting real with teacher to teacher. That showing up early and staying late. Now, I, I mean, I say this, but I also don't practice what I preach. I am a teacher who has learned to keep my work at school, but that does mean I'm there till about five every night when the school close, closes. I think as teachers, we have to stop carrying those teacher bags and teacher carts everywhere we go. We bring all this work home and it doesn't have to be that way. We've got to rewrite the story of the teacher martyr who works 24 seven um, to really understand we're professional educators and we have the right to our mental health as well. And we're not going to keep teachers in this profession if we make the job impossible. So at the end of the day, teaching is a job and it's hard. I mean, I, I haven't unlearned all of this yet, right? Like, but right. It's, it's okay to see it as a job. Dovetailing that, to the students themselves in, in your school, if we just call it the mental state uh, of the students. And thinking about it, not just in a vacuum of now, but over time, what, what have you seen, just even just this school year from just the beginning of, because there was this, I think, uh, 
optimism heightened or not, but uh, about this school year that we're currently in, which is coming to a close pretty soon. What's the state of the school in terms of the students' mental state and how they feel about school? I think, again, it's it's like differentiation on steroids, right? Where everybody needs something different from us as teachers and everybody is, is having a different experience. I think we have to be conscious. One thing I've definitely noticed in terms of online schooling, some of my students who were super introverted were very loud on Google Classroom or um, on Google Meets where they're engaging in the chat and maybe they're not talking out loud, but they were very involved in class. And I do see, it's, it's not a huge percentage, but some kids miss that where they were comfortable in that space and community communicating more and now being in per- in person there is some social anxiety you know as teachers we always have to be careful when the, the class is stressing us out but i almost turned to my class last week and like are we acting like third graders and of course i didn't say it but i thought it and then i was like whoa i need to stop because i have seventh graders who haven't been in person for 2 years so developmentally and socially i am dealing with elementary school students and i need to adjust my brain accordingly to understand social at the social development level of interacting with their peers they are maybe be not at the same level. Let's take a short break to hear a word from our sponsor. The Voices in Education podcast is brought to you by Securely. Pioneering the student safety movement in 2013, Securely continues to lead the charge in innovative education technology. As the only whole student success platform for K-12 education, Securely helps schools ensure student safety, increase student and family engagement, proactively support student wellness, and optimize student device and technology initiatives. More than 15,000 schools worldwide choose Securely to help them keep students safe, engaged, and well. To learn how Securely can support your school, visit www.securely, that's S-E-C-U-R-L-Y dot com. And now back to the interview. Has the uh, peer-to-peer relationships between students, uh, you know, what did that kind of look like at your school from that remote hybrid kind of model and then now face-to-face. And do you see any differences pre-pandemic versus now in terms of the interaction of the students uh, in the school? I I definitely see like a little bit of struggle to socialize in terms of Mm -hmm. making friends. I think that that, that's something we're going to have to be careful to model. One thing I'm proud of our school for doing is really investing in using our advisory period for social emotional learning. So uh, our the curriculum that we use at school is is choose love. Um, We in the past have used second step, but really making that advisory period a time to kind of give the kids a sense of belonging and work on those social skills in a smaller class. Like I have 17 in my advisory period. And we meet for a half hour in the afternoon and then in the morning for like attendance. And that's really the space where I want to build classroom community and interrogate how they're feeling, what they're feeling and helping them process their emotions. And that's been really eye-opening to me in my other core content classes, right? To see how does this microcosm of these 17 kids, how are they doing? How are they feeling? Extrapolating that for my wider school community to, to see what's going on. And there is, there's anxiety. I think one thing I've definitely noticed is because they were communicating on screens, there's lack of understanding when things are sarcastic or a joke. Kind of like we tell adults, like when you type in all caps, like that's yelling. Um, those messages that were a little lost or misconstrued, there's a lot more um, 
like student fights or spats that start from a text message or a post on Instagram because they weren't sure how the other was going to take it because of those social, not being able to also address those issues in person, just having it on the screen. That, and I also think as teachers and school systems, we're going to have to be honest about cell phone addiction. I think we're seeing that right now um, with my students. Now, of course, I don't let students use phones in the classroom. Sometimes mm-hmm. if we're doing a project, they can do music or something else. But some of the things I think we're seeing when those kids were virtual, their phone was right next to them full time. And they were engaging with it while they were in our classrooms and typing all the time. So then teachers in taking that phone away, there's some anxiety because that phone has become their comfort object and their go-to and also their connection. We think about Sorry. that, these virtual tools that we had um, have been have been how they've connected to the world. So saying now you're back in person at school and you do not get access to your virtual pacifier, kids are kind of acting out. I've seen that definitely when students have had their phones taken by administrators. Um, There's a lot of stress around that. We also know that phones are affecting student sleep. And it's a tough part for parents. I have parents ask me all the time, like, you know, Miss Millie, um, are they old enough for a cell phone? Or how do you handle cell phones? And that's tough because it is different for every family. But the families that wait to get phones then get the peer pressure of like, everybody else has a phone and I don't have one. And I think we're going to have to get conscious on how we craft policies around device usage, especially as we're understanding that they are causing mental health effects on our students. As uh, uh, we look towards the uh, end of the school year here in, uh, in Hawaii where uh, you're teaching, how do you want the school year to end? Like, like what, are some, what are some things that you want to make sure that the students leave? One, being able to look back at the school year, but I guess also being able to look ahead towards the next school year too, that they can, that engagement is really high. What, what, what would you say to that? Uh, another program that we do that I appreciate is our school loops. So um, we only have seventh and eighth grade at intermediate. But so my advisory that I have this year, I'm going to loop with them from seventh grade to eighth grade. So they're going to stay in my room, which again, increases that sense of community and belonging that you have your one school home location that you can come back to. And because I have those relationships built with students already, we're not going into the new school year having to rebuild. You know, we're going to have to reintroduce, talk about your summer, um, but we can kind of fast track that to see how they're doing. Plus, because I I knew those kids in this year, I'm going to be able to better serve them next year. And also as a team, you know, our team of teachers meet weekly and talk about how our students are doing. Um, the counselors and administrators join those meetings. So if there's a student we're watching or concerned about, we're able to kind of build strategies as a learning community for how to how to help them. But I think for me, you know, the goal is to make the school environment as welcoming for students and staff and really fostering that feeling of connectedness or belonging. We use the HA framework in Hawaii, um, which kind of is the basis of our SEL work. Mm-hmm. And, and we the kids have to feel like that school is theirs and that they belong to that, to that building and that they're wanted in that space um, before we can get all those math facts <laughs> and, and those sight words and whatever, it, you know, into their brains. They need to feel like they, they're wanted there. And I do think the advisory work we've done help with that. I'd also say looking into next year, just because, I mean, we have a lot of data, holistic and otherwise, on how the school year went. And I really hope that schools like mine are going to take the summer to kind of digest that work. And in July, before we come back, really make a plan. Like we need to have a multidisciplinary group or team that's data-driven and inclusive of school-wide or individual strategies and reflect on how the year went to make a plan for how we're going to roll out into our next school year to make it better for everyone. It's kind of interesting how these models or these systems that we set up, like looping, uh, advisory programs, procuring particular curriculum uh, around SEL, at times it sits at this kind of uh, 
aspirational piece that this is what we're going to, but then when you, you know, at, at times like these where, where it's really meaningful, I think for the students, I, I think those are kind of the fruits of the labor, right? Like we're doing this, why are we doing this? And, and not really sure. And then when we know that uh, when we're moving from one school year to the next, or we have these advisory, like, oh, you know, it's, it, it's actually going to be helpful. Like, huh. I think that's something that is always challenged to me as an educator and former teacher of that why, like, why are we doing this again? Because we don't, you know, as, we don't really know, right? But I think we also have to address, you know, if there are systems that are not serving us or systems that were we use pre-pandemic very well that don't apply now, we need administrators that are brave enough to take things off teachers' plates, right? Mm-hmm. Or or if we have something that is like doing very well, like that advisory period, it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. So like leave it alone, you know, don't change that dynamic and if, it's, if it's something we're being successful about. But also in that reflective period, we have to reflect on all stakeholders. Like I'm a big believer in student voice. And so I'll ask the students how lessons went. I survey my students a lot on Google Forms to be like, um, okay, how did that unit go? Did you know? Did it good, bad, otherwise? And I take that student reflection into my teaching practice. And we need to take that beyond content to really see you know, how they're feeling at their school. Do they feel like they have a sense of belonging? Uh, we use a system in Hawaii called, um, it's Panorama now for um, behavior data and just how students are feeling. So the students take a survey ever so often. It synthesizes these reports, sends a report home to parents, but it's nice because it also has a toolbox for teachers on that piece. So if I see, okay, my advisory sense of belonging is at 50% and that's low numbers for me. I'm somebody who's used to having much higher numbers, but then I can get into that program and see these are what other teachers around the country are using if they have numbers like yours to try to boost it. And that's what I did in the fall. I was, I was, it's hard because you're the cultural capital you build as an educator doesn't transfer, right? It's like, well, my other classes always love me. Well, this is a new class, new year, new experience. They don't know me. So in that way, seeing like if, if they weren't feeling accepted, they weren't feeling belonging, what am I changing in my practice to go ahead and, and, and make sure that they are? Because that's number one. We have to have that classroom community and that the kid has to feel valued to be ready to learn. We had a chance to uh, have a really awesome conversation with Sarah, Miss Millie. Milianta and uh, having a peek into her work uh, as a middle school teacher uh, teaching electives. And, and she talked, a, uh, you talked a, a lot to our listeners here uh, about a couple of different things that I want to highlight. Uh, this idea of toxic positivity that, you know, it's, it's showing its, uh, you know, ugly head uh, in many schools. And that's something that I think we uh, should be aware of. And what uh, we do in terms of looking ahead towards that towards the next school year is something that I think is going to be important, definitely for a leadership standpoint. I love the the piece about the looping and advisory and the relationships that uh, you're developing in the classroom and, and leaving that thought of there is great data out there to help drive what we should do, what we're missing, and what we can do to make improvements to close those gaps, particularly uh, from a relational SEL standpoint. Sarah, I want to thank you for lending your voice to Voices in Education for all of our listeners. And uh, it was really great uh, hearing your perspective from all the way out in Hawaii. Thanks so much for your time today. And thank you for lifting teacher voice on this platform. I, I really enjoyed listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Voices in Education podcast powered by Securely, where we hear from new voices and explore new ideas about how we can reimagine education to support whole student success. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll consider subscribing to the podcast 
and sharing it with others who would benefit from listening. Even a small act of support helps us reach more people and make a bigger impact. For the resources from today's episode and additional details about the podcast, please visit www.securely.com forward slash podcast. And until next time, thanks for listening.